Hello, it is 5 a.m. in New York, 12 noon in Johannesburg, and 5 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com, and I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. Stop right now. You have an emergency. Do you know your partner's phone number? Who could you call right now in your city for help without your cell phone? If you are like me, you got nothing. If it is so simple, right, that we should have a few core emergency numbers memorized, but we don't. Why don't we? Because we just put it to the side, like, oh, there's not going to be an emergency. We don't really need it. But truth be told, we only realize this, what we should have done, when emergency strikes. And it doesn't even have to be an emergency. It could just be a huge pain in the you-know-what. Because when you're not prepared, then you pay for it. And that is why I am so excited to welcome this week's guest to Expat Happy Hour. Kim Adams is what I call the queen of preparedness. She is the face, brains, and heart behind resilient expats. So welcome, Kim, to Expat Happy Hour. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Kim, you might need to help me prepare for a flood because it is raining so hard here in South Africa, and it's been raining for almost two weeks. Oh, man. Should I start building my boat or what? (laughs) Yeah, get your your go bag ready. (laughs) I should. So let me tell you a little bit more about Kim. For those of you who aren't familiar with Resilient Expats, Kim is the brains behind this website and private Facebook group. She is a 10-year expat who is absolutely passionate about what I really love, raising a healthier generation of third culture kids. And she goes even further and she says, and the parents who raise them, because it's something where I think Kim and I really align on is if you've got parents who are taking care of themselves, you automatically nurture kids who are doing the same. So what I've learned about Kim um, throughout the years is that she has built her experience over multiple continents. She's had Um, Her three children, each born in a different country, spanning from preschool age through secondary school. I mean, that's already a huge, huge feat (laughs) in and of itself, right, Kim? Um, But she definitely lives it. So, Kim, tell us a little bit more about you. How did you get to create Resilient Expats? Well, a little over 10 years ago, we landed in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And um, there was a great support network there. There were webinars and seminars and uh, panel discussions, and there were maps and booklets and just all kinds of things and counseling and what have you. And um, over the years, I took advantage of a number of those pieces of support, and I thought it was fantastic. But I did not realize while we were there how special that was. And how unusual it was to have that kind of support until we moved to Oman, a small town. And there's not a support network like that. Now, 
the community here is fantastic. It was easier to settle in in a lot of ways than it was the first time around because the community is really helpful and close-knit, but there's not a structured support system. And I found that people here don't really have that background knowledge and vocabulary and, you know, just kind of the baseline knowledge about raising third culture kids and the issues that they're going to come up against and ways that they can help their kids and strategies to help themselves as well. Right. You know, what? I find it so interesting that you say that about not having the background knowledge for people like you and I who are super nerdy and love reading the research. um, It seems like everybody knows it, right? Like (laughs) you feel like everybody understands that. But I met a one woman who's wonderful, amazing mother. And her husband is a leader in Southern Africa um, for a major corporation. And she came over to my house and was leaving and I said something about the webinar I was giving with third culture kids. And she said, what's a third culture kid? And I was like, oh my gosh, she's raising, raising third culture kids. And she doesn't have that shared language that always mm-hmm. surprises me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So of- anybody's listening, let me just say it real quick before anybody is listening, a third culture kid as defined by, you know, the practitioners is when you are raising your children outside of their passport cultures during their developmental years. And of course, there is some contention about whether we should still be using the word third culture kid or cross culture kids or all those other things. But for shared reference, we're going to be talking about that today. Mm-hmm. Right. So you you got there, you realize there are people who don't have a shared background um, and knowledge. And then what did you do? Well, I... Um contacted some of the people back in Chiang Mai and said, hey, can I use some of your materials and present these workshops in our new place? And she said, yes, please take it, share it, go with it. Um, And so my husband and I uh, prepared a workshop for some of our new colleagues who had come in and you could just kind of see it was their first expat experience and they were, um, you know, finding their feet and they loved it. And so I've offered it a few times since then. And, um, yeah, it's just from there, it has grown. It's my way of paying it forward, standing on the shoulders of giants, and then taking some of my own creative ideas and and uh, sharing with people the things that I wish I had a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And what I know about your work is that you're primarily focused on supporting you know, the family as a whole, working on building their emotional competencies and skills, really tapping in to more of the right brain activities so you can get deeper into their own processes. Um, And you've got some really practical tools, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, fun. So I've been following your um, Facebook group and I love some of the things that you're sharing there um, that are really practical that help people integrate into their globally mobile life wherever they are. So I'm curious, um, you know, what are you most interested in sharing with people. We talked about this idea of being prepared and how I am, I am working on memorizing my husband's phone number, by the way, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, that being prepared is so important as an expat and you've got a ton of resources on that. What is it that you wish people would get about this idea between about being prepared and how important that is to be a resilient expat? Well, for me, um, preparedness just comes naturally. I always dig in and research and read a lot and try to know what to expect beforehand. 
So that's my natural bent. And I know a lot of expats, they push back against that and they say, well, that ruins the fun of discovering a new place if you tell me everything about it and I want to discover it for myself. So yes, I get that. And that is certainly a valid approach too. But when it comes to um, being prepared for emergency situations, which I include everyday emergencies, um, minor emergencies and urgent things that come up that you weren't expecting. So tell us when you think about what you wish expats knew in terms of being prepared and eventually becoming a resilient expat, what do you wish that expats realized? I wish they realized um, what a huge impact their own emotional health has on their kids and the long-term health of their kids. I have to confess that when I read David Pollack and Ruth Fenrikin's book, Third Culture Kids Growing Up Among Worlds, I thought to myself, you know, time has passed since this book was written and the information is out there. People know better. People are doing better. So it's really more the older generation of third culture kids who are struggling with these issues. And the new generation is doing a lot better. Well, then I started following some third culture kid forums. And the struggle is real. And it's really <laughs> our kids are struggling. I have a child who will be in university in five years. So this is very real for me. And I see what other people are posting. And they're still struggling with um, you know, they're suffering when their parents bulldozed over the grief and said, we're getting a fresh start. We're turning over a new leaf. Here we go. Or when the kids tried to bring, bring up their struggles and parents got defensive. Mm-hmm. Or they just felt so alone for years and years until they stumbled across some third culture kids literature and this whole new world opened up to them. Isn't so, it amazing how how important our own well-being is to support our kids. I mean, it's just, it's frightening how we focus so much on our kids and we put ourselves last. And then actually it should be the other way around when we really take care of ourselves. Taking care of our kids is is like a given. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is so well-intentioned. I totally get the... Um, desire to steer our kids towards a positive outlook and they're expressing something negative. We want to just help them. Oh, let's just turn that around into a positive. And in general, I think that is a pretty good approach, but when we're dealing with grief, which is something that comes a lot, comes up a lot in all the broken relationships we end up with as an expat, um, skipping over processing that grief is not, is not the right way to go. So So I wonder, you know, if you were to grab any relatively new expat or even someone who's been around for a few years, what advice would you give um, those people who are listening? You know, this is the thing. We have good intentions. Um, You know, a lot of people have done, if they're listeners of Expat Happy Hour, they're probably people who are hungry to to do better or to know better. But I, I know that there's a portion of my audience which says, thank you for your insight. I am struggling to, to do the things I want to do because I'm overwhelmed with my busy life or I know I should be doing it, but for some reason I'm not. What advice would you give for people who want to be, make being prepared a priority? 
Okay. Well, I have my top two tips that I will share. And I don't want this to be another thing to do because I know expat life is really can be overwhelming, especially in the beginning. And so I organize all my materials trying to help it be helpful, not another thing to add to your to-do list. But um, Mm -hmm. one of my top tips is think in advance of who you know that you could call when you need help in a medical situation. Um, When you go in to a doctor, it's usually, I mean, if it's a routine appointment, okay, that's one thing. But if it's a surprise and you weren't expecting it, your brain is not functioning at normal capacity. It's hard to take in information and process information. It's hard to make decisions and evaluate what's happening. So it can be a lifeline to have someone that you can call, hey, this is what's happening, and they can help you walk through, give you a perspective about uh, this is how we would handle the situation in our country in a Um, in a system that you understand and makes sense to you, you know how it works. And they can say, okay, we would test for this. We would check this result that would steer us in this direction. And it gives you something to compare to so that you can get the care you need in your local context. So do you mean the people you reach out to that's on your list? Do you mean people who are local to where you're living? Or do you mean an expat as well? I think it's good to have both. I think it's good to have someone in your city and you probably know quite a few people who have a medical background. Maybe they have a background in nursing or dentistry or something else, or uh, maybe you've got an uncle who's a pediatrician and a family friend who's a surgeon. Um, So I think you should have someone local that you can call during the day um, and someone who understands what you're up against and they kind of get your local references. And I think it's good to have someone who's back home. They might be in a different time zone. And so you can call them in the middle of the night and you're not waking them up. um, And you can access a different network and experts Mm -hmm. too. And that's an interesting point that you make, because if you're in an emergency situation and it's night, you're only thinking about crap, everybody's sleeping, right? You're not thinking, wait, I could actually get some insight. Um, from someone that's awake. So it's interesting. So medical is the first thing that people can do to be prepared. Um, What do you suggest to people who are relatively new? I feel like, you know, this is my third year in South Africa. I've got good enough friends where, you know, I could call a host of people. But what if you're relatively new to a country? Who do you call then? Well, you know, in the first few days, you're relying on maybe someone with your employer And you do rely on them quite heavily. But I think you just have to keep your ears open. And as you're meeting people and you're finding out, oh, what did you used to do or or whatnot, you you start to gather information, especially if you're primed to be thinking about it, then you make a mental note. Mm -hmm. And maybe you make a note in your phone so that if you had to make a, maybe you make a tag that says emergency or something. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if, if there's someone who says to you, call me if you need anything. Okay, take them up on it. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. that person isn't the medical um, expert, but they probably know somebody. I and have to say, having been through a few kind of emergency situations, it is really so wonderful to have people um, at your side that you can call. Um, and I like that. So take actually take their number. If someone says, call me, if I can do anything, actually take their number. <laughs> I love that idea. Um, I know the yeah. first first day I was in South Africa, I sat down with my phone 
and put in all the emergency numbers because it was br- I was brand new. And because there's a you know, different security context here than other places that we've been, mm-hmm. I wanted to really make sure that I took that seriously. So I had that in my phone um, from day one, but I had to force myself to do that. That was something I knew was important. And if I didn't do it from day one, I would, I would be frustrated if I didn't. So that's one thing. What is another thing that you think people should do to be prepared? All right. My second top tip has to do with making a plan with your kids. And I'm talking about like the everyday problems that happen with your kids. You're out shopping and you get separated and uh, you can't find each other. So make a meeting point <laughs> and review it with the kids so that they everyone understands if we get separated, this is where we're going to meet. Um, I'll have a story about that if you want to hear. Um, yeah, let me hear. Why is this important? Tell me. We were, um, this was when we were still in Thailand and we went to this major tourist site. It was a magical experience we walked up this enormous staircase at the top of the mountain and it was sunset and so everything was gold and literally golden because everything was plated with gold and the light shining off of it so we're taking my in-laws around and my daughter tells me that she's ready to go and she's kind of standing over by the stairs and teasing me and I was like I know she's not going anywhere so I just turned back to the group and um normally that works with her (laughs) So not too long later, we turn around and she's gone. Mm. And we, her favorite game is hide and seek. Oh, which no. My favorite game, especially at that moment. And so we start looking around all the corners and behind the trees and behind the people. And then we circle the entire grounds and we're looking and calling her name. And I'm, I was really getting into panic. I stood at the top of the stairs and I looked and I looked and I looked and she had on this bright yellow sweater. So I knew if she was on the stairs, I would see her. And there were a lot of people, but I looked for a long time. So finally, grandma and grandpa decide they're going to go down and just check. And a little bit later, they come back and they say, yes, he was at the bottom of the stairs, sitting on a bench, petting a puppy. Mm. So is this something you do and in every place? You Right when you get to a major area, you say, if we get split up, where should we meet? Well... Now we, uh, it's more in my mind now. So if we get someplace that is busy, yep. there's a lot of people or really new and the kids don't know their way around and it's big, mm-hmm. then, then we, I do. love that. See, that's exactly the whole thing about being prepared, right? Like you, now you, you've had that terrifying thing happen. Now you're aware of it. I, I, that's where preparedness is so important because it saves you heartache and headache if you do it as a matter of course, Right. And this is a great idea. So you, you're saying, you know, as soon as you can have a couple numbers in your phone in the medical emergency, um, hopefully someone who's local could be someone with medical, you know, insight abroad. Second is have a point um, when it's an unfamiliar place or a busy place to t- talk to your kids about w- where you will meet in case you get separated. That's wonderful. Um, so those are very practical. You do have to review that with your kids more than once and reiterate. And with younger kids, you have to be careful what kind of landmarks you choose. We went into a mall one time and my daughter said, okay, I'm going to come to the store that has a green sign. And I looked around and I was like, oh, that's going to be on every single corner. We'll never find you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have mm-hmm. to kind of choose the landmarks carefully with your kids. 
That's very good. So we've talked about something medical, something also around personal safety for your kids. What are some other things? You talked about emergencies, everyday emergencies. What are some other things that you think are worth, um, you know, being prepared for that will save a lot of headache or heartache down the road? Well, there are a lot of, you know, kind of simple mundane things like just knowing how to do the top up, top up credit on your mobile phone. Mm -hmm. knowing how to put gas in your car. I know that sounds really silly, but I was visiting a friend of mine in Switzerland last summer and we're driving and she said, oh no, I really need gas. And I thought, okay, no big deal. She said, but my husband always does it for me. I don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I laughed, you know, oh, this is silly. Of course I can help you. I know how to put gas in a car. So we did, we went to the gas station and the two of us stood there like idiots. We could not figure it out. <laughs> we, there was such a line building up behind us. It took forever. But it makes it's a really important point. I'm just going to pull it out here. This idea of um, what's a given. In, in South Africa, we have to prepay for our electricity. And yesterday, I asked my husband, I said, listen, um, let me just check. We can prepay through our phone app. Like we have a banking app. Because he, if he's on a business trip and I can't get a hold of him or he's in an airplane, I have no electricity wow. in my house. Be, and it's so simple, right? It, it's so simple. And this is, I think, an important thing of thinking about who usually does what mundane things. And have you cross-trained in your family, right? right? And it's the same thing for the one who's, let's say, the one who's working and then all of a sudden there's stuff with the kids if, if that person is gone, whether, you know, the mother or the father, are you aware? Like I had one client recently tell me she had to bring her partner to the French school to say, honey, this is where your kid goes to school, oh, like yeah. the extra school, right? Because she was the one who always did pick up and drop off. But if you're not the one doing it, why would you know? Yep. Yep. Well, we're busy and it does right, so the to, menu. Yeah. Um, to delegate responsibility that way and split tasks up. But there are a few little things that it's worth, it's worth knowing. Mm -hmm. I had a thing in Burkina Faso. I think I've shared this with you before. I had a situation in Burkina Faso. My husband was traveling. I was home with the kids and I heard something like pop. I didn't really know what it was. I thought maybe one of the Sprite bottles in the garage popped open and I went to bed. It was like 11, I don't know, 1130. I go to sleep and then all of a sudden I heard something. It woke me up. It must have been 1.30 in the morning. And I come downstairs to investigate and I open up my office door and my office is filled with like two centimeters of water on the mm. floor. And something in my office, like the some pipe in my office had burst. And that's what I heard, not the Sprite bottle. And so there's electronics, there's laptops, there's all yeah. of that. And I go running outside and we have a guard. There's a night guard that would be there. And he was, of course, sleeping. <laughs> so I had to wake him up and go, what am I going to do? You know, it was all this really bad French, you know, <laughs> coming out at 2.30 in the morning, me trying to ask him, where do I turn off the water? And he ended up turning off the water. And I thought, if he wasn't around, I wouldn't even know where to begin to turn the water off. Yeah. Such simple stuff, right? Yeah. So what should we do? There's so many simple things. What should we do to get prepared? Because now I'm thinking, okay, there's electricity, there's water, there's all of that. Like, help us with the overwhelm. 
I guess that's probably what your guide is for, is that (laughs) will you tell people about what your guide? Yeah. So I took all that kind of stuff. I just brainstormed what are the things that we have run into that we've seen our friends run into over the years. How could we um, save off some of that um, stress by just kind of ticking the boxes and say, yep, I know how to do this. Yep. I know how to do that. I've thought about this. I've had this conversation with my kids. We kind of, we're all on the same page. And so I put that all into Mm -hmm. one document. So it's got um, prompts for you to think about and um, check check boxes. You're like, yes, I'm making progress. I I know this and this. Um, And it's got some pages that you can print off if you want to post phone numbers on your fridge or somewhere like that. I so recommend this. When I saw it, I was like, wow, this is super comprehensive. She has a guide. It's very reasonable um, priced and it will just give you peace of mind. Like these are the things you don't have to create this yourself. It's already created for you. So peace of mind. Yes, we've done this good. Oh, these are our gaps. Let's fill these gaps in the next few weeks. Right. So that takes the headache out of it. So we've, we've talked about, um, we've talked about some very pragmatic things, right. So, so to avoid, um, nuances becoming minor emergencies or to prevent emergencies from becoming disasters, right? That is a core part about being a prepared expat. And that helps, I mean, that helps build resilience because our energy then is saved for when it really counts. Can, can we shift gears for a second? I want to talk about the things that are not as pragmatic. Like I know that you really believe in um, building families with you know, emotional resilience, um, being mindful around transitions. What about that kind of preparedness? What are some things that you think people should be doing more actively to support their family as they're in global transition? Okay. Well, a lot of it has to do with um, taking an honest look introspectively. Um, one of the areas I look at is um, how we interact with our children's schools. So, for example, some people have complaints about the school when they come to a new place. So if you have complaints about the school, ask yourself honestly, is it possible that what's really going on is I have a fear that I've taken my kids away from my home country and they're missing out on all these experiences that I consider vital for you know, a normal childhood? And are you trying to compensate for that by making this school provide every experience that I think they should have had? Hmm. Interesting. Like, what are some of those things that you see? Like, what do people want that? What do they demand of international schools that might be actually just a sign that they're missing? (laughs) But yeah. Okay. You don't offer enough after school activities. This is a small school. It can't offer everything. You know, we don't have giant team sports and, what, you know, so that's one thing. Um, uh, you know, you're you're not you're not doing enough um, language support for my home language. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have mm-hmm. handling issues. We have staffing concerns. We can't cover everything. Um, oh, I think I'm guilty of that one. I got really <laughs> upset. I got really upset because um, they teach Spanish in um, the international school my kids go to, and. I mean, like Spanish, we are on the African continent. Like, why is it not French, right? Like, why are they offering uh, Spanish in the, you know, the lower elementary? And thinking about my son, who comes from four languages in the, you know, in Switzerland, we've got four languages, you know, French, German, Italian, and Romanche. And then I am Anglophone. We were in a Francophone country before. My son speaks Swiss German. 
And then there's high German, which he has to learn. And then all of a sudden he gets hit with Spanish. And I think that was, yes, I think I have a very good point. Why are we teaching Spanish on a Francophone continent? <laughs> and I think it was because my son has already been faced with so many languages. Why are we throwing in another one? Yeah. And there are definitely challenges. And it's true that not every school is the perfect match for every student. But um, yeah, I'm just encouraging people to kind of look in, inside themselves and say, okay, if if my I'm putting this on the school when it really has to do with me, and I can adjust my attitude to focus more on the amazing experiences that they are gaining out of this life abroad. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's really fair. And you know, I've never thought of it before. So an invitation to everybody's listening, when you are experiencing resistance or discontent, when you're fresh from a transition, and you're making demands on the school, like an honest look in the mirror, right? Like, what is this really about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what what loss am I mourning here? Right? Is it a good critique for this school of its size, of its caliber, of its context? Or am I being unfair because I'm mourning some other loss? Right. Yeah, it's super fair. What else? Um, I want to um, help families maintain really strong connections with their grandparents and other relatives like cousins. I think for me, that is the biggest issue I have with living so far away from family. Mm-hmm. My kids don't know their grandparents the way that I want them to, and they don't know their cousins at all. Um, and so I want to help families develop a kid-friendly communication plan. Cause I know when I sit down, like, okay, I'm going to have my kids talk to their grandparents and I set up the Skype call and I'm like, okay, now you're going to sit down and have a long conversation. <laughs> that's, that's not how the kids <laughs> do on Skype. You know, they're in and out and they make a comment here and there and then they're gone. And, um, so I have to. Yep. This sounds so familiar. I know everybody listening is like, exactly. It's exactly how my Skype sessions go. My kids were just like making pig noses and like sticking their tongue out because they were just watching themselves in Skype. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to be a little more creative and um, accepting, I guess, of where my kids are and what they're willing to engage in, but still... So what are some of your ideas for a kid-friendly communication plan? Like, what does that mean? I think, honestly, it comes down to me being okay with the fact that they're going to come in and make pig faces in the Skype and that that still still is a little bit of maintenance. And I think short short and frequent is better than infrequent and trying to make it long and then people get frustrated. Um, And me being okay with, I want you to write a letter, but instead they're just going to draw a little picture. Uh, okay. Yeah, totally. You know what my kids do? They, My mom is so funny because she, when I moved abroad for the first time in 1998, I went to Spain. I had brought her, brought her to the public library and I showed her how to turn on the computer. I showed her where the enter button was. Like you can imagine where she was at then. Now she'll make like, she'll send Snapchat videos to my kids little gifts, like she'll make little animated things, or she'll make these video things. So she's really gotten really high tech. But I find that my mother and my grand, my kids mm-hmm. communicate over really silly things. Like my seven-year-old will send like poop emojis. <laughs> and then grandma will send back, you know, other emojis. And so I let them 
I kind of let them do their be playful, even though they're not really, like you said, connecting in words or whatever, they're still connecting. Yes. I love that. That's fantastic. There you go. You heard it here first, connecting over poop emojis. <laughs> so I love that kid-friendly action plan. What about the cousins though? What do we do about the cousins, Kim? Um, I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, we did have one cousin came to visit us here last year, and that was fantastic. It was good for us as aunt and uncle. We didn't know him that well either, but he came and stayed and we got to know each other. He and my kids really bonded. And so now they have this really special connection and they look forward to seeing him when we go back in a way that, that they don't as much with the others because they don't know them as well. And they have that shared experience too. So that was really special. And I know that that's not possible with all of the cousins. We do have some cousins who are more are closer in age to my kids, and we make a point to get together with them every time we have the chance um, to maintain those relationships. That's good. Our, my, my kids hang out with their sort of cousins every 4th of July at the lake. So we're just hoping that those years, you know, memories of being on the little golf cart, driving around, fishing, and that sort of thing will, will be enough to keep that connection as they get older. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about so the connection with grandparents. We've talked about allowing kids to communicate in their own way um, as long as they're connecting in short bursts. We're looking at what you can do with cousins, um, visits. and Yeah, why not even invite? Like if you don't have a relationship with one of the cousins, why not being the bold one to say, hey, why don't you come and visit? Like uh, giving yourself permission to to suggest that, even though the relationship isn't tight. It's a way to start the relationship. Yeah. Um, what about a parent-child, right? We've talked about with our relatives. What do you think we could do to be better prepared for transitions like goodbyes um, with our our families? Well... Like when our kid, you know, has to say goodbye to friends at the end of the year, or what should we be doing? You think? Yeah, I think um, you know we don't need to turn it into a bigger deal than it is, but we need to make space for the kids to express what they're feeling, and they might be processing things on a really different timeline than we are. Um, it might not hit them until the day of or the day after their friend leaves. Um, so. I try to kind of lay the groundwork, let them know as far in advance as I can so that they have time to think about it and they have time to make a meaningful gift if they want to. Um, I try to encourage them to get the contact information so they can stay in touch and we get that mm -hmm. settled before the people leave. One of my um, expat friends here did this really cute thing where she had her children make business cards with their photo on it and their contact, you know, address, like if it was Skype and, and they gave it out to their like third grade friends. Cause they gave you the picture and the contact details. It was sweet. It was playful. And, um, that way they could hold on to it. And then they didn't have an excuse. You know, I forgot, you know, what their email address was or whatever. So that's, that's an a, idea. Such a good idea. So giving people advance. I love that idea of, um, realizing they might have a different time, uh, timeline than you do. And any other things that you think, if you could, if you had a room of 300 people and they were going to listen to you and you had one more thing to say, 
what would you want to encourage them to do or think about that will help them be more prepared or more resilient? Um, I would ask them to focus on open communication with their kids. And what I mean by that is to validate what their kids say, validate the feeling behind what their kids are saying. So this goes along with the goodbyes and the transition, but um, it's so tempting when our child comes to us with what we perceive as a negative thought or emotion that we want to help them through it. Um, We want to make them feel better. We want to make ourselves feel better. And so it's really tempting to just go straight to the positive spin. You know, like your child says, I'm really going to miss my best friend. I don't want to go. I'm going to miss my best friend. And it's tempting for sometimes to say, oh, I know, but <laughs> that's the problem. You put a but in there. But but um, mm-hmm. you made friends. Really, You'll make you new made friends. friends really yeah. here. You're good at making new friends. You're outgoing and popular, and you're going to jump right in and make new friends. And um, we're going to stay in touch, and we're going to visit them next summer, and all the reasons why. No, actually, no, you're not going to miss them. You do want to go, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than saying, yes, I know Mm -hmm. it is so hard. Right. And I can't fix it for you, but I understand that it's really sad. It's hard to make that a habit, right? It's really hard to make that a habit as your first response. Yeah. Right. So it's more like, look, watch. I would suggest for people to watch what comes out of your mouth first. Right. And is it that, and it's so interesting because we want to encourage, we want to be positive as parents. And that is in this case, um, can be the last thing that the kids want. I remember one, one time I was talking to my kids, we were, um, one of my kids was talking about a friend and he's like, mom, you don't understand how it feels to miss your friends. And I said, you know, I was defensive I was like, you don't think I understand? I've been doing this for 21 years. (laughs) Like, you don't think I understand what it means to miss my friends, you know? And I remember that was my first response was defense. And, but that I was trying to say, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Like my intention was to say, honey, understand it's hard, but it was like, my pain is greater than your pain, (laughs) right? It came out, it came out the wrong way. I remember we were in the car and then I reflected on that later. I'm like, yeah, I could do that differently. Mm. Right. I could have just had silence and went, I know that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. And you know, and that is the perfect example of unprocessed grief, right? Like when we aren't doing our work, that comes out in indirect ways with our kids. Yeah. And another thing on that, sometimes kids process a lot faster and easier than we do. And sometimes for them, just being able to speak it out loud, that is processing. Not always, but so sometimes I will let my kids say something and I take it in and I go, wow, that's so big and heavy. And wow, what are we going to do with that? And then I realize half an hour later, they're done. They got it off the chest and... (laughs) So giving them space to say the things that are weighing them down without us trying to shift gears is really important. Totally. So I'm mindful of the time. I know that um, 
we're going to have to come to a close here, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for joining us today and giving us that important reminder that that expression of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound in cure <laughs> a reminder of how important it is to get prepared, not only in the medical sides, but on the practicalities feels like we're more, we have, we're come at our expat life with a more empowered place. Like we're, taking charge more of our life. And then that goes into how we parent and how we create that cohesion in, in our own family. So I really appreciate your time today. Um, if people want to find out more about you or get your guide, where should they go? They can go to resilientexpats.com and they can find me on Facebook at Resilient Expats. And I also have a Facebook group uh, which is also called Resilient Expats. And I can put those uh, in the show notes. I do recommend you consider um, purchasing the guide because it's chock full of a ton of stuff and it will save you a ton of time. Really great resource. Um, plus, you've got a ton of other um, freebies and wonderful things on your website. So check it out. Uh, the Facebook group is also great with wonderful ideas. There's some fun stuff that was just shared around the holidays. So if you're listening to this, um, around the festive season or around transition season, you're going to want to make sure that you check it out because there's lots of practical tips there. So thank you, Kim, for joining us on Expat Happy Hour. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Really my pleasure. All right, everybody, there you have it. Um, Kim Adams is part of Resilient Expats. I like to call her the prepared expat because she's thought about everything. And I tell you what, living in a developing country like Burkina Faso, I realized how important it is to be prepared and that value. So no matter where you are, um, check out her resources because I really want you to feel that you are taking choices in your life that feel empowered and that you are doing your best to take care of yourself and knowing that you're not going to cause yourself extra stress or um, heartache or hardship is one of those important steps. So you've been listening to expat happy hour with Sunday Shander Bean. Thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you with the thoughts from Jensen. Yeah. He is a performance coach and motivational speaker in Asia. He says, don't wait until you are ready to take action. Instead, take action to be ready. 